Welcome to On the Rec Yard Women's Prison Podcast, where we are live on the Rec Yard every Wednesday night. Hello, everyone. Welcome. We're so glad to have you guys. It is Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Central Time. We are live on the Rec Yard Women's Prison Podcast. I'm Marcy Marie. I'm Tunchi. Tunchi. We've had a busy day. How are you? Man, what a day. We woke up on lockdown. We, yeah, that that just made me flash back a little bit. Rayanne is the first in the comment section. Okay. Shout out to Rayanne. I, I remember seeing some comments that I think she had company last week and didn't catch us live. So we're so happy to have you tonight. We are so happy for everybody that's here joining us. You guys be sure and drop your comments in the comment section. Please like the video, hit that thumbs up. And after the live is finished, we would really appreciate if you shared this live. And additionally, if you are listening, wherever you hear your favorite podcasts, please do leave a review for us. That just helps our podcast reach an even broader audience. <laughs> so Jennifer, we see you. Audra, we see you. Melanie, so glad to have you all. We can, have can you say out loud what Audrea just said? Here we go. First, first, a shout out to my mama, our oh, biggest fan. Yes. <laughs> my mama is watching. She's on the YouTube. And my mom's name is not Gerald. <laughs> my mom's on my dad's YouTube account. Charlotte is here. Good to meet you, Charlotte. My sister-in-law, Devin, is here, who has the cutest two little boys, my little nephews. So happy to see you all, Shaquille Oatmeal. And we'll just go back to this comment really quick. Quick, Audra Lee says, Tunchi on point. I just wanted to acknowledge that. <laughs> what does she mean by that, on point? She means on point, that I said my name on point. Normally, I'm oh. drinking coffee, and also that I'm my hair looks good. My lighting looks great. I've got my Taylor Swift snake in the background. I'm on, and I'm on point tonight. Marcy. All the way. All the way on point. Amanda's here. She says she found us on TikTok and she's a parole officer here in Texas. So we would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks for joining us. Um, I have a parole officer, so I'm, I want the inside scoop on everything, right? She says she's been doing this for seven years, learning so much that she didn't know and how she can help her clients. We just love that. And we love that kind of parole officer, right? The kind that is trying to help people succeed. We absolutely love that. We have got to do this. Let's see if I can get it done. You're going to do it. Hey, Tucci, let's do a weekly recap. <laughs> I did it. It was kind of smooth. It was. It was kind of smooth. So it's more of a, is it, do we have things that happened before today that need to be brought up? God, I, somehow I feel like I was born today. Like, I don't remember anything. It's been a very long, um, early morning, long day. Um, I think we can just hit it for about today's stuff, for sure. I agree. Um, so we woke up this morning with, um, well, I woke up with text messages from my friend who we have mutual friends inside saying, uh, 
it's there's why is the Murray unit on lockdown? What's going on? Can we send her an e-com? Something's happening. What is it? And then I have messages from Tunchi saying, girl, my friend Serena on Riverside says something's going on statewide lockdown. And then the comments just started coming in like crazy. The Texas Department of Criminal Justice is on a state wide prison lockdown boy if if y'all missed uh we did do a live earlier on our lioness platform to talk about the more in depth uh but we certainly want to give you an update here but you can check that video out on our other platforms um for a little bit more in depth but yeah marcy so lay it out what is state what does a statewide lockdown mean Well, a statewide lockdown just means that every single prison in Texas, every single prison under the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, which I think is about 110 units, are on complete lockdown. No movement by incarcerated people. That means if you live um, in a dorm that has bunk bed housing, you are confined to your bunk bed to your bed. Uh, If you're in a cubicle housing, you're in your cubicle. If you're in a cell, you're in your cell. And we didn't know what was going on. And frankly, it's still a bit um, suspicious. We know what the agency's official statement was, which oddly didn't come until after 10 o'clock this morning. What was the official statement, Tunch? Yeah. So when we finally did hear, it was that, you know, they had decided to go ahead and lock all the facilities down and do a thorough search, uh, what we call a shakedown um, of all the facilities, the incarcerated folks and staff. They also said that visitation would be suspended until further notice and effective immediately today, uh, that digital rollout of the mailroom, that new mailroom policy that we all hate. Uh, it's going to go into effect for everybody. No slow rollout. We're not slow rolling. We're doing it all today. So that means, um, you know, all the physical mail will be sent to one central address where it will be scanned and sent to their tablets. And this is a great question already coming in from Jennifer. She's asking about the safe P units also. And absolutely, yes, the units that are um, the safe, that have the safe P program that they're supposed to be programming, they're not. They are shut down, locked down, not programming, not progressing in their program. Yeah, and this isn't like... um are rolling biannual annual lockdowns where do they just lock a dorm down and they search and they, no, no, no. This is like back in the old day, <laughs> like everybody locked down across the state. Nobody's moving until every unit is done. Um, and that's going to be a while. Yeah, that's right. Now I think that, and correct me if I'm wrong, Tunch, but they're saying that, as the unit, as the individual units complete their lockdowns, they'll come out, they'll come up individually. So is that what you're understanding? Yeah. So some of the smaller units, they they have a potential to come up quicker, right? Well, I mean, this is what it sounds like, but I know in the past, but they've lifted statewide lockdown like altogether. 
you know, like everybody goes down at once and then everybody comes up at once. We're just waiting on everybody to get finished or individually. I don't think they're going to let individual units come up. I think they're just going to wait till everybody gets done. We don't know because it, again, it, it changes from day to day and it's never really clear in terms of communication from the state. And this is kind of new. This is different. Like previously, state lockdowns are everybody's locked down and then everybody's brought back up. But there's not this huge contraband search in the middle of it. And so it's it's really interesting. And that is what they're saying it's for to find contraband, dangerous contraband. So Jerry makes an excellent point. We all know if it's about contraband, how that stuff gets in and right. we do know so contraband comes in a little bit from the mail a little bit from visitation and the majority from staff now a lot of other states have drone drops and i i don't think that's so much i don't hear about that in texas prisons i do hear about some of like the trustee units um they'll have like outside drops and somebody likes hide a package outside the unit somewhere and those outside trustees can get it. But even with all of that, the majority is brought in from the state. And uh, Elaine makes a really great point. The TDC, TDCJ statement, it's not giving the full picture. Um, she said she would not be surprised if maybe there was an incident with a staff member or something like that. So, um, and, and actually, we've been hearing those kind of reports. Yeah. I, I mean, it. I think it's been an accumulation of stuff, right? Like, you know, the drug use and the substance use is out of control um, in the system. The violence has escalated because of the heat. The deaths and the suicides, all that stuff has been escalated. Uh, and I think there's a real crisis going on. Um, I think there's a seed of truth to all the rumors that we've heard all day um, as people reporting things from different units. So, and I also think it is an opportunity to deflect the criticism that they've received behind the mailroom policies and uh, different visitation policies and that stuff. I mean, that that's a, that's a good way to deflect from that and from the heat because now everybody's focused on this. But, you know, I, I said it earlier today, it, until they get to the core of, why and how this stuff is happening coming in and doing big sweeping searches and throwing stuff away and and you know busting all the contraband marcy that like you said if you want to keep your contraband you'll find a way to do it so it's not like it's that effective and it doesn't cure the problem it's it's just a band-aid over an infected wound that's exactly right. And we're getting questions about which certain units are on lockdown. And yes, Carla's asking specifically about the Lane Murray unit, but it is literally every single TDCJ unit in Texas is locked down, all of them. And some of those have just come up from their annual or biannual lockdown. So this chat's moving kind of quick. If I miss you, if I miss you guys, you say the comment again, and I'll try to catch it if it's a question you want us to answer, um, because I don't want to leave you out. I'm so happy to have everybody here, but it is moving kind of fast and it's moving faster than my brain. So let's just put it that way. <laughs> um, 
So Kelly Kerr says, do we think this is some kind of test? So I, I feel like they know that they have definitely have the power to lock everyone down. Like the, a statewide lockdown, it's been done before just for different reasons. Like um, when a guard got attacked in, in West Texas on a West Texas unit in the kitchen, they locked the whole state down. And so I think that they know that they can get people to comply if that's what kind of test you're meaning. Um, but I do think that th this it's definitely suspect. I think it's a reaction to possibly some incidents that happen in the middle of the night. And the reason I say that is because we have literally dozens upon dozens of incarcerated people letting us know that they were locked down, woke up out of their sleep between 2 and 3 a.m. Mm -hmm. But the agency, the official statement says as of nine o'clock a.m. There was no meeting going on in TDCJ at 1 a.m. that said, hey, we're going to do this. Right. You know, that didn't happen. Um, and then this morning, as people were trying to contact TDCJ and, and contact the units, the Hunts, um, offices at Huntsville said, we will know something after our eight o'clock meeting. But the units are already on lockdown. Right. And then they come back and say, at 9 a.m. this morning, well, no, that happened in the middle of the night. Right, right. This wasn't a part of the comprehensive, you know, intricate plan to address contraband. This was reactionary and uh, um, sudden and, you know, without warning. And and again, it, it's that escalation of, of violence and substance use that they don't want to talk about. They don't. Because in truly talking about it, Marcy, they have to, they just refuse to address the why and the how. You know, and, and until they do that, it's just, this means nothing. This means nothing. It's not going to stop or control anything. Well, that's exactly right. And there was somewhere on here, um, Justice 23 is watching. Justice also did time in Texas prisons on the men's side. Um, I'm going to highlight this comment so you guys can see. He has a TikTok and a YouTube account. But Justice, he talks about he talks about spending about a thousand dollars every four days because when he was still in that criminal lifestyle during his incarceration, the beginning of his incarceration, he was still dealing in illegal substances and it was from the staff that that was happening. And that's not just my word. And that's not just Tunchi's word. That's across the board from every incarcerated person and formerly incarcerated person in Texas will say the same song. We'll sing the same song, right? Um, so we're getting some questions about lockdown. Melanie's asking, do they go without food? So Justice made a comment that he's getting messages from the inside saying some of the men have been without eight hours or have been without food for about eight hours. We're hearing on my social media platforms that some of the units have not been fed lunch yet, and it's 7.15 at night. That's what's going on with the food. So the thing is, the staff didn't know that we were going on lockdown, so they didn't have anything prepared. And now all the people that normally put meals together are locked down. So the right. staff has to be in the kitchen working all of that out. Yeah. Um, that can be really 
Well, and that's how, you know, that's when I, when, when she called, I said, well, who, who made the Johnny's for breakfast? She goes, the staff did. I said, oh, we're in trouble then. So it's obviously for serious uh, because staff hate doing uh, the nitty gritty detail work that, you know, the people on the inside end up doing. And Marcy, I can share the pictures real quick because I know the food is a big, a big topic. Yeah, let's do it. Um, Let's do it. All right. So this is an article by Carrie Blakinger. This is something she wrote at the beginning of, of COVID, of the COVID crisis, because this really highlighted what we all know to be terrible, right? Johnny's, which are those sack meals that we get during lockdown um, or during transport. They are not done with love and care, um, even in the best day. But, but when staff do it, it's even worse. Um, so I'm just going to scroll here and uh, show some pictures uh, of what those meals will look like. So our audience, those who are just listening uh, on the podcast, just know that it's one, one picture is just powdered milk. Uh, one is what is supposed to be a sloppy Joe. It looks just like some. Uh, it I, looks I, like they took a spoonful of every leftover in the refrigerator and put it in the middle of two hard pieces of bread. It's got corn and looks like some kind of barbecue sauce right there in the middle of the bread. It's, yeah, it's something for sure. A piece of cornbread and two hard boiled eggs is one meal. We're seeing um, a, golly, a peanut butter mixture looking something in the middle of the pieces of bread. And I'll tell you what, guys, when you're hungry, you eat it. Yeah, we we ate it. I've I've eaten all of these things that they're showing. Um, yeah, we we had to make do. And during lockdown, there you are not going to commissary. Um, yeah, and they're talking about on on my our TikTok community here's talking about. Uh, they used to eat that with the chili soup. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. Lots of times what we do is we mix commissary items with whatever is in here and try to make it edible. So um, again, every single unit in Texas is on lockdown. So I have some family here on TikTok saying they have loved ones on the hobby unit and reporting that that unit is locked down. They are all locked down. And then Elaine has a great question. What happens to pregnant people during lockdown? What if they go into labor or have spotting due to the stress and trauma? Yeah. So those ladies are housed at, in Texas city, which is at the Carol Young uh, facility. And uh, some of our little investigating and checking on them, especially during the heat uh, in response to a reporter that reached out to us. Um, You know, everything that the women have told us at, at, at Carol Young, that the the pregnant girls are in AC, they are tended to, they are cared for, which is a big improvement from when me and Marcy uh, were there. So uh, they will be locked down to their cubicles because they're in cubicles there. But I think if they're experiencing any type of stress, uh, you know, they'll be transported close by to John Seeley uh, as usual. I think that their food rationings, um, you know, right now are with everything, with the heat, they're being cared for. I, I can I can guarantee that because TDCJ doesn't want that on their hands anymore. 
Um, they've done a lot of changes uh, for those ladies. Not not great, but I do I worry less about them uh, than I do everybody else right now. Audra Lee is asking, are there any actual statistics on how contraband is brought in? So that's really interesting. So there's there's not official research, right? But but Tunch, what happened during COVID when there was no contact visits and the mail was highly restricted? Yeah, so the TDCJ will report. Um, I don't have the the numbers here right now, but they will report how how much contraband they found. Uh, which also contraband is a very broad term, especially if you're talking about the mail, unidentified substances. A lot of times is glue and lipstick, uh, but just overall contraband. There, that number began to decline. And so one of the advocates on the big advocacy call that we were having every week with TDCJ said, well, it's strange to me <laughs> that y'all shut off visitation. And this was their first implementation of some really strict mailroom policies. So you really limited the groups of people that you're saying this contraband comes from, but the numbers of contraband actually rose. And when that was pointed out, TDCJ immediately ended the meeting and then advocates were no longer allowed to ask questions on those calls. They were just there to hear uh, whatever information was presented. So they know, Marcy, they know. <laughs> they know where it's coming from, but it is easier to gaslight uh, the community and blame us and our families, which again, it does happen. Nobody's saying that, but I think, you know, without going to the core reasons of why the violence and the drug use is happening, it's you know, how do you fix a problem if you can't be honest about it, right? If I'm in denial that I have diabetes and I'm like, no, that's just not true. I'm never going to get my sugar under control because I don't believe it's real. I don't believe that's the problem. I, I think it's Marcy's cooking or something, right? Um, but yeah, it's just frustrating. And, you know, I, I think we talked earlier about what can we do for the folks on the inside right now? And the painful answer is, not a whole lot other than staying in constant contact uh, as much as you can. Your spiritual practice, pray for them right now. I know that's not enough. Uh, and just, and you know, hold people accountable. The people in charge, uh, let your legislators know how you feel about the stuff that's happening there and what you really think the problems are. That's, that's really all we have right now. Tunch, we have um, the regional director for the Waco area for Linus Justice Impacted Women's Alliance. She's watching us from Facebook. She says when she called one of the prisons this morning, she was told it was a COVID lockdown. And I right. believe that. I yeah. called five or six different units and got several different answers. And actually one officer, um, and I'll just put it out there on the Dr. Lane Murray unit. I said, ma'am, can you confirm that the unit's on lockdown? And she said, yes. And I said, can you please tell me why? And she said, yes, we're on lockdown. I said, can, but can you tell me why? She said, yes, we are. I said, I think maybe you're not understanding me. Do you know <laughs> why? <laughs> Do you know why we're on lockdown? And she just said, girl, I, I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue what's going on. And, and I believed her. They did not, they did not expect to show up at shift change at 6 a.m. this morning and, and to walk into this, to this unit lockdown, a statewide at that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. 
Kelly's talking about there will always be contraband. And that's something that Tunch and I talked about um, earlier is even with these searches, any contraband I ever wanted to keep during my incarceration, it made it through two lockdowns a year for over 10 years. It's just, this is, it's almost just a formality. I remember telling my parents if I wanted to get a 22 through a lockdown, which I never would want to do that for the record. And in case my parole officer is watching, I don't I've have a 22. I don't, right? I, I'm not going to hold a 22 or be around one. But I'm just saying, if I had had one in there, I could have gotten it through one of the unit lockdowns. And that's just the reality of the situation. And Anna is asking about what happens on lockdown with education. If you're going to college, does this put you behind? Yeah, well, you know, Marcy, and you can remember during COVID, uh, programming stops. There is no, I mean, the way that we found out what was going on before TDC, well, of course, obviously everybody was calling and messaging us, is that TDCJ sent out an email to let volunteers know, hey, we're doing a sweeping search, please don't come to the unit, contact the chaplain, um, and that was how we first knew one of the news stations reported simply on that email. Uh, but education and programming also come to a stop. And, and during COVID, it was especially bad, right? Because we were trying to get people out during this health crisis because uh, it was a Petri dish. But you, you can't go anywhere. So if you have program that you have to complete for parole, which we, we are going to get to um, talking about, but that goes for college and, and any other type of educational program. So they're either going to bring them, if this lasts longer than a couple of weeks, they're going to bring them their program and their books uh, and try to complete their schoolwork that way. But yeah, it, it puts everything behind it. It halts the unit. Every Everything you're doing is put on hold and things start backing up. So someone on Facebook is just asking about the mail. And I just want to confirm that, Earlier this summer, TDCJ did talk or did introduce a new mail policy. They were going to do a digital mail rollout. They had a calendar saying, we're going to start with these units and then go to these units. And each unit kind of had a date and we had expectations for that. Before today, those digital mail rollouts in a lot of units are very far behind. My comment section is lit up with, we're two weeks behind on digital mail. And, and so already they're struggling keeping up, but in light of whatever incident or whatever reasoning they have as of today, they said September 6th, right now, the rollout is over. It's effective immediately statewide. And they gave the address. You guys need to look that up on the TDCJ website. I'm sorry that I didn't think to put it here or I would have, but the address is on my social media, on Tunchi's social media, but also you can just Google that on the TDCJ website. You will mail your paper mail to that address. They will open it, scan it in, and it will be uploaded onto your loved one's tablet. That's a whole nother issue, right? But, <laughs> frankly, that's a whole nother episode because some of these tablets didn't even survive the triple digit weather. Nope. They were melting and some more things. And then we had incarcerated folks that moved units. And as they moved units, they got issued a new tablet. And then 
poof, where is all their mail from their old tablet and all their pictures? Gone. 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 I just can't imagine doing my time without any pictures of my family. I can't imagine as crazy as I got during my incarceration with my mental health. And I shouldn't say crazy. And I apologize if I offended anybody. But as severe as I got with my mental health, it would have been so much worse had I not had pictures to look at and see my pictures of my mama and daddy, pictures of my babies at home. It would have been so much worse. And I'm just, I'm very concerned. I could, I could cry y'all. It's that serious. I want to, we do have a topic tonight mm -hmm. and we're already halfway through the show. <laughs> so I want to, um, we are talking about parole and we promised people we would talk about parole. And I know people have questions and I know people have tuned in because they want to know what the different parole answers are. They want to know about parole support letters and they want to know how the parole process works in Texas. Me and Toonch are professionals at this and I promise <laughs> we're going to break all that down. So don't go anywhere. If that's what you're here for, please don't go anywhere. Uh, I'm thumbing through the comments and we are just so glad that everybody's here. Elaine is asking, do lockdowns affect the juvenile facilities also? So this particular lockdown, it, it does not. Right. But Tunchi, do you know about lockdowns in the juvenile facilities? Yeah. I mean, just last summer, the the kids were locked down because uh, they were short of staff. And this is when you saw those reports about them pissing in water bottles and bowls and stuff, because a lot of their cells, their rooms are um, what they're not what they call wet cells, meaning they don't have access to a toilet and a sink in the room. It's just a bed. And I remember that it was miserable because now you're dependent on the officer to open the door to let you go to the communal bathrooms. Uh, so they were on uh, the Texas Juvenile Justice Department was on some lockdowns last summer and they periodically go because of because of violence, but mainly because of shortage of staff and, um, you know, mental health crises. So two different agencies. So that's right. They definitely do have lockdowns. They go through those kind of things, but that's, they're not included in this lockdown. So thank you for that, Toonch. Um, I'm just trying to look through and Toonch, if you see a question that we need to know, um, that we want to bring up. Let me Maybe know. Maybe they're coming in hot tonight. They are. And we're so <laughs> glad to have you guys. I'm really trying to keep up. So I really appreciate you. We just have more confirmation about um, where the contraband comes in, right? The majority of the contraband. Amber Roach is just pointing out that you can look at the TDCJ website and all of their social media platforms. You can find their official statement um, from the agency of, of why they're on lockdown. Um, again, their official statement says it was as of 9 a.m. We know it happened in the middle of the night. It's really kind of crazy. Uh, yeah. Well, and I, I want to say one more thing uh, before we move on to our parole uh, discussion is that you guys, this, this is just like prison when we would hear rumors everywhere, all this happened. And, you know, I, there is a seed to every rumor, right? But find credible sources that you trust, uh, whether whether that's me and Marcy, right, or uh, whether that's other organizations that you have determined their information to always be pretty close to the truth or spot on. 
um, and, and really just focus on those sources. I think it's important that we all like, hey, I'm hearing this, I'm hearing this, uh, but to disseminate information, it, it, you know, to keep ourselves above being scrutinized or attacked by the agencies, state agencies, we really try to verify as much as we can before we share that in a, a broader platform. So I just wanted to give people that word of advice um, to, yes, continue to be a community and share stuff, but to, dis you know, to send information out, make sure that it's coming from as much credibility as you can. Thank you for that, Tunchi. And that's an excellent point because we hear all kinds of things and it's it's important to know exactly what's what, right? So the meat of the show today, this was just the recap. We spent over <laughs> half the episode on the recap and I, I know it's a lot, but it, it's been a lot all day for us. Trust us. Yeah. Uh, we are talking about parole and we've got questions coming in from my family on TikTok here and we've already got questions in the chat. Trisha on TikTok, she's asking about a parole attorney. I definitely, we're going to address that, Trisha, so don't go anywhere. We've got questions about support letters, but let's start with how does the parole process work here in Texas. So we've all seen movies like the Shawshank Redemption, where you walk into a room all solemn in your prison clothes and you sit in one single chair with this group of business professionals in front of you asking you questions like an interview and you are stressed about answering the right way or saying the right thing or looking the right way so that they'll send you home. Is that, is that what your experience with the Texas uh, parole board was or? Oh, not at all. <laughs> not at all. And uh, first want to tell folks that nobody, nobody explains what that process is like for you. When you get there, you have those assumptions like Marcy laid out of whatever you've seen on TV or maybe other states do, right? That is not the, the parole process in Texas is so not like that. It is very detached and it is very, it's, it's very frustrating. So, you know, Marcy, I don't know if, if, so that we've explained, that's not what it's like. So can we just break down as simple as we can, what the actual process looks like from point A to B? So as an incarcerated person, the first step is, well, on the computer, it says you're in review. Someone in the free world looks you up on the computer and says, girl, you're in parole review right now. And then you're like, well, okay, what, what does that mean? What do I need to do? Because you really don't know your first time. And then weeks or even the next month, <laughs> you get called in you get, well, that night you get a lay in. So you get a little piece of paper that says, Hey, tomorrow you have a parole appointment. And then you're like, Oh, and you stay up and you think about what you want to tell them. And you think, what do I need to say? And you worry about how you look and you make sure your hair's just right. And you look civilized, like you're ready right. for the free world. And then you, you go to this appointment and you walk in. And for me, it was this uh, representative, not a parole, not a voting member of the parole board, but right. just a representative that works for that department sitting at a desk that doesn't even really look up at you. They have your file and they say, so uh, you took this college class and this college class and you've had this vocational. Yes, sir. Okay. And um, you da da da. Um, yes, sir. Okay. Anything else? 
um, oh no, I don't know. Is there anything else? And then you start with, yes, I'm just ready to go home. My family is very supportive. And he's like, yeah, we're just worried about what's here in the file. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah. you're like, oh, okay. And he'll say, uh, you have 30 days. He hands you a piece of paper with an address on it and says, you have 30 days to send a, a letter yourself or any support letters from out, outside. You want to send them to this address. Toodaloo. <laughs> Toodaloo. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. That's uh, it. And, and then you go back to your dorm, highly disappointed with how all of that went down. Uh, but you do get on the phone to your family and say, y'all got to get busy writing <laughs> support letters. <laughs> so let's talk about support letters because Stephanie's asking, um, is there anywhere that she can go to get advice on how to do? Um, and I know I have a video about support letters on my YouTube. I think that you do, Tunchi. You definitely do about parole packets also. So you can hit up either one of our individual um YouTube channels for sure for that, but we can talk about parole letters right now. Yeah. I mean, so those documents, uh, you know, once you go through this process that, that Marcy's talking about, and we went through it several, several, several times, and it just gets more detached every time. I think one time I was in there less than one minute um, because then they started giving us letter, like a thing to sign that we were there because what those guys were doing, the, their clerks, they were telling this person refused their pass and they weren't showing up to the unit to do those interviews. And they were writing that this person refused their pass because then they didn't have to do anything. So they had to have actual verification. This is how little this process meant to them, but that they had to have verification that we actually participated in this, in this, um, this interview. But so we learned that, you know, there, you can actually send uh, letters of support to the Austin address, but I always found it, I don't know if useful is the right word, but to send that packet and those letters to the actual office that is going to be, because there's different districts that are going to be voting on it. Um, are they effective? Do they carry weight? I honestly don't know how to answer that. I can give people advice on what to write, which is keep it short, keep it tight, focus on what can I offer the person that's being released, housing, food, job opportunities. This is almost, yes, they want to hear that we're responsible for, yes, I'm contrite and I'm, they want to see a plan. And how is this person supported when they get out? And keeping that letter as concise as, and tight as you can. Um, what is ineffective is my baby girl has been in prison for 10 years and I just need her home. Yeah. That, that is not effective. So yeah. you kind of want to detach the emotion out of it. I have watched my daughter grow during her incarceration. I have watched her change her way of thinking during her incarceration. When she comes home, she will have my emotional support. She will have financial support. I will be able to give her a ride as she's searching for an employment or my sister-in-law owns a business and has agreed to hire her. These are the kind of things and always only the front of the page. They are not going to flip that over. 
And this is what I believe, truly. It's a file. It's a file that gets passed around, <laughs> not even at the same time. It's like, here, I'm going to see the file and then I'm going to send it out and it's going to go to Tunchi's office. She's going to look at the file and then it's going to go to somebody else's office. That's how that works. So when they open that file and they see a number of support letters, they're going to maybe glance at a couple and say, oh, okay, well, this person looks like it has, they have some outside support. So I would say quantity mm -hmm. is more important than quality, quite frankly. So if several people just wrote letters, I fully support so-and-so getting out of prison. This is why, you know, I've seen them change. I've, I've heard through letters and phone calls that they have a change of attitude and I will support them by doing this. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. Um, it just, it, they want to see that there is some support, right? Um, and that leads me into parole packets because <laughs> I'm not saying I haven't had a parole attorney before. I did. When my family could afford it the first time, yes, I did. However, everything that a parole attorney does you you can do as a family member putting that packet together and getting a phone call there's a process and procedure for that but there's 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 nothing that they're doing that you can't do yourself um and quite frankly when i had that parole attorney when my dad talked to the lady that was the lead vote at the time she used to work for cps and had a heart for kids and so my dad just told her about how i was a, as a kid when when this you know event happened in my life that was it for her. You know what I mean? And it had nothing to do with the attorney. And my dad requested that phone call anyway. Uh, so I say that because, man, some of these parole attorneys will take a hold of y'all's hope and squeeze every penny they can out of it. And um, I know that Marcy said both of us have some stuff up on our social media about that. I think the link to Jorge Ronaldo's parole packet guideline is I think it's in mine, um, but we can get that link to y'all. It's free. <laughs> it, it, Jorge always suggests it to people. Um, it's free. And if people are charging, just please be suspicious of that, right? Like those of us with a real heart of advocacy, we do our best to never, ever have to do that to loved ones. Stuff should be free to y'all. Information and knowledge is free. Um, you know, so I do suggest y'all use that. Um, Jorge did several decades in inside and uh, he put together a, a thoughtful packet on how to construct it yourself. So you don't need a parole attorney. You were just going to let me talk with my mic muted. And Honey, I thought you were reading the comment. I was like, okay. You didn't even fill in the empty space for me, Toonch. You didn't I didn't want to talk, talk over you. you. <laughs> I didn't want to talk I, I want to make sure they know what your YouTube is because that is on your YouTube. I looked it up. It's Jennifer Toon 4. Yes, that random 4. At the end of <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer Toon 4. T-O-O-N. And actually, you can just look up Jennifer Toon Parole Packets. But I will try to remember wherever this is streaming to go back and put that link in the comments so you guys can go back and watch that. So once you go through the process and you collect support letters and then they have a day that they're voting on you 
And the way that you know that that date is arriving is your family has called. <laughs> They've called the parole board. They've called that office and said, when are you, when are y'all doing it? And when are y'all voting? What's going on with my daughter's parole? And they say, well, we're going to vote on her on this day. It's, it's not even, I don't think published online that date. So when they vote on you, Shaquille Oatmeal is asking, do they let you know if you have or haven't been granted the same day? Absolutely not, Shaquille. Absolutely not. They do not tell you in any kind of timely fashion. No. And I, I had a 20-year sentence. And I want to talk just really briefly about the difference between a 3G and a non-3G because people on my, in my TikTok family are asking over here, so mine was a non-3G, um, which meant I was eligible for parole, my first parole. I didn't have to do half of my time before I was actually eligible. So because of that, guys, I saw parole one, two, three, four, five times, like in a ridiculous amount of times. And every time it was so disheartening because, first of all, we did hire a parole attorney, which I regret I'll just say it right now. I don't even mind. I'll even say her name, Lori Redman. Oh, uh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> and I hired her because she's a well-known parole attorney within the system. And that's who we hired. And I do definitely regret that. So my first parole denial, first, your family, the first way they tell you is they put it in the computer, which incarcerated folks don't have access to. Right. So your loved ones on the outside are checking the computer. So my family sees that I've been denied parole and they tell me on the phone and then I know. And then the next thing that happens is you get another lay-in for parole and you have to go up there <laughs> again and talk to sometimes the same guy that didn't make eye contact with you or sometimes a different person. And they say, uh, you were denied and they hand you a piece of paper and you sign it and you leave. So I had to be told twice. And then, then <laughs> I would get called to the mail room because I would receive legal mail from my attorney. So it was like I got punched in the gut three times every time I got denied. I remember just being like, I'm not even doing this anymore. This is getting ridiculous. Yeah. You know, towards the end of my sentence, when I kept getting denied and denied, and we'll go through the answers and the reasons for denial, um, but I was so close. I was so close to actually, actually being one of those people that go up and say, I refuse my pass. I just refuse because you have a right to do that. I remember one time a girl got called up there and she said, I refuse it. I'm just going to max my time because she had like two years left. And they were, they kept calling her back up there. Now, are you sure you want to do that? She goes, ma'am, I saw parole five times while my mother was alive and she's died. I have nobody and nowhere to go. And now y'all want to beg me? I remember she came back from the, the meeting just in tears. She was like, how dare them? It's a privilege, so it's mine to revoke. And she maxed out her time, and she was spot on, um, you know, with now you want. No, girl. <laughs> yeah, I have seen that myself. Plenty of people denying their parole. And um, I have seen people make parole and get their thing to go to a program and then say, mm -mm, I'm not going, I'm not going to a program. So I want to talk about the programs and the different parole answers. Shaquille Oatmeal is asking how many voting members are there of the parole board? Do you know? 
Tunch? I don't know. I thought three. So it, so there is a, a board, right? And I'm, I think that it's 12. I could be wrong about the number, but I think that it's 12. That's the board. So they are given regions to where there's three people on that panel. Like Gate, the Gatesville region had three members. So everybody is parceled out to for those, you know, because Texas is big. Um, but there's certain offenses um, like capital murder that the whole board has to to vote on. Uh, but for for mainly everybody else, it's those three people, and it's you get a yes and a yes, you're good to go. If you get a yes and a no, then it leaves it up to that tiebreaker. Um, so, yeah, it's three people deciding on your your fate. So Elaine's asking about parole stipulations. So you've seen parole, you get a positive answer. They, the parole board makes your stipulations at that time. Your parole officer does not have any input and, and you're not assigned your parole officer until you actually get out, right? So at that time, like for me, I have some kind of wacky parole stipulations. <laughs> My parole stipulations include that I'm not allowed to have a checking account. I'm not allowed to have a savings account. I'm not allowed to have a credit card. I'm not allowed to have a debit card. <laughs> and even though I didn't really, I didn't play with debit cards and credit cards and mm -hmm. uh, do that kind of thing, but I do have a financial crime. Um, but that stipulation was mm -hmm. set by the parole board. And it's my parole officer's job to enforce that or oversee that I'm following that stipulation. Right. Yeah. So you 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 get a, your parole certificate and there are some everybody has certain set in stone stipulations. You know, don't go to places of disruptible character, which could just mean anything that bad shit's happening, right? It doesn't say, it doesn't say you can't be around other felons. There's nowhere in that. Now, probation is different, um, but, you know, there's, you don't use alcohol and drugs. They're very set in stone for everybody. And then you have those individual stipulations that the board issues just to you. And uh, Marcy is, it's insane in today's age that the, those would be stipulations because how, again, barriers, right? These are like, real barriers to success. And what does it do? It kind of teaches us how to, to survive, right? Um, and then for me, my stipulations were, my God, <laughs> I had the first time, Marcy, I didn't have nothing except check in with a therapist once a month. And then after that, they were like, okay, that's enough. This second time, because I was on that intensive supervision, I had three pages of stipulations. And um, one of those stipulations being that I could not go step foot in Fort Bend County or Harris County because my victim, my ex-girlfriend lived and worked in both of those counties. So I, you know, I just would have to avoid that whole part of the state <laughs> when I would have to go do work events. Um, but those stipulations are, are personalized just special for you. Uh, and they can be kind of cuckoo. They absolutely can because, and it's not even just a, list where they're like, oh, this person has a, a financial crime. We're going to give all financial crimes this. No, it's just hit or miss. It's whatever they look at and decide, which frankly is 
how I feel they decide who makes parole. I, I right. used to joke that they just put everybody's name in a hat and say, who these are who we're going to say yes to. And they just draw those because it was so crazy. We would see people with the same charges, the same disciplinary history inside, the same amount of time inside, and one would go home and the other one would get denied, denied, denied. It, and it was just wacky. It was really hard to tell what was going on. Yeah, for sure. Right. Like I, so statistically, um, the approval rate runs between 20% to on a good day, 30, right. That's not very high y'all. So <laughs> I always did this. Um, when I would go for my parole interview, right. There would be 10 of us on the bench and I would make track of everybody who was on that bench. I'd go and write down their names and then slowly, but surely people would get their answers back. And I'm like, okay, she got a no, she got a no, girl, she got a yes. That means only there's only one more yes in this bunch. And I'm telling you, it was spot on almost every single time I did that. And I remember one time it was down to me and one other girl hadn't got their answer yet. And she saw me in the library. She goes, girl, I got my answer. I got an F of five. I said, I am my parole. She said, do you know yet? I said, girl, no, statistically, I'm out of there. I'm done. And sure enough, I did not make parole. Um so, Marcy, let's talk about those. Wait a minute. Now, I want to add one more thing because this is always a hot topic and it's a touchy one. In terms of support letters, guess what? People can write protest mm. letters. Mm, protest letters. Yes. Yes. And it doesn't even have to be the victim of the crime. That's correct. It can just be someone being spiteful. Or I, I remember specific situations. Um, Women can get pretty catty and that's, that's like a hardcore one, but I have seen that happen. People get in arguments in the dorm and uh, Jolene gets on the phone and says, Hey mama, so-and-so, this is her TDC number. Go ahead and just look her up and go ahead. And she's eligible for parole, write the parole board and tell her, tell them you don't want her going home. <laughs> and and old mama did it. Yeah. And when that girl got denied, I remember that lady walked up to her and her name wasn't Jolene, y'all. I just love Dolly Parton and I feel like she's the nemesis. Jolene, <laughs> Jolene. Yeah. Jolene walked up to that lady and said, oh, you didn't make parole? Yeah. That's because I had my family call in on you. It happens, y'all. Yeah. It does. It, it happens. I We could do a whole episode on all the crazy stuff that we've seen. You don't talk about. My dad told me the first time and the second time, do not talk about when you come up for parole because he was terrified that some of the people in my family would find out I was up for parole. Now, this is public information, right? But when it's not in front of people's face and they're living their lives, don't, don't, bring this up to them. Let us just get through this. And because my dad was really scared that there were going to be some people uh, in my family that would have protested me. Um, there was a bill this session that wanted to create a whole website that uh, just, just constantly updated people in the County of who was up for parole. And we said, no, that information is already public. You just have to know how to look for it. Um, but Marcy's right. Anybody can submit a protest letter. I, Here's this is the law. You are not allowed to know if your victim protested you. Not even a parole attorney can get that information. It is protected by law. It's part of victim rights. Uh, they sign up for that when um, they're in court. I know 
I can talk about it now because I have the freedom to do it. My ex-girlfriend, you know, if through the court, she said, I want to be updated. She gave a victim impact statement. And my attorney, Marcy, told me, he said, from this day forward, you will not know anything about anything that she has said or done. Now, during the court process, that is, you know, I have to tell you and stuff has to be transparent. But once you go to TDCJ, you'll never know um, that's protected by law. And I knew that, right? And mm -hmm. I also knew this. If she's protesting me, I'm going to do this whole time. And I did. I did. Well, I got out with two years left. I did 10 flat years on a non-aggravated sentence. Um, and then what happened when I got out? I was on super intensive supervision, which is a separate caseload that to get off of that, you've got to be voted off of it. And your victim is contacted again. Victims carry a serious weight with the parole board. Now, does that always mean that the parole board is going to, you know, make the decision based on, on them? No, but more times than often, you know, than not, they do. They do. And the thing is, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that it should be fair for everybody's input, but that is the way it's constructed in Texas. That's exactly right. And I was just thinking about that bill that passed or that didn't pass, that, that bill that was proposed um, to make this kind of, they even, there was the bill that something about notifying your past school teachers yes, or like it was insane. It. And so I'm, I, but I was just picturing like this, this mean grouchy old man, just, just writing letters against everybody, you know, right. just, just one of those guys that, that comments ugly on my, all of my social media. Well, right? Could you I, imagine all of those guys being constantly, uh, you know, notified of every single person. And, and we told them, hey, TDCJ can't keep up with this. They can't do that. This is duplicating services that are already there. And, and it just creates, again, more unnecessary barriers. Um, and even, even the parole board said, hey, we already do a thrill. We're doing our job. So leave us alone. <laughs> right. Right. I, um, okay. So Kelly's asking about how does disciplinary cases while you're incarcerated affect parole? So minor cases versus major cases. And let's just, we, we already know that major cases on a female unit look quite different than major cases on a male unit. That's for a whole another episode. The difference is there, but yes, major cases can absolutely affect a parole decision. And that is one of the reasons they give you for denial. It's the official terminology is failure to adjust to the institution or something similar to that for major cases. Minor cases, I don't think that's even in your parole, the file that they're looking at, but the major cases, absolutely. Because yeah. the, the major cases are going to take what's called line and time, which is that imaginary good time and work time that we accumulate that really doesn't. But it's still seen as a negative when you lose that with major disciplinary. And Marcy's right. That looks very, very different for women. Um, whole nother thing. Uh, but I, again, I want to highlight just how arbitrary the parole process really deep down is, because we've watched people have atrocious, atrocious disciplinary history and make their first parole. Several of my friends, including myself, I had 
what no two minor cases in 20 years two minor cases in 20 years i wasn't going anywhere someone else we know she did 20 years and had one minor case but we also knew through the grapevine uh, that our victims were protesting us so that's kind of how we we put that part together and then Jerry's making a great point there. I have seen that answer as well for people that have done a significant amount of time and don't have any disciplinary cases. Um, what is the terminology on that denial? Is it manipulating the system? It's something, Tunchi, but basically they think that you are trying to get over on the system. That's exactly right. Yeah, it, it, they, they usually use that weird institutional adjustment or some type of criminal behavior, criminal history. You know, it, it's, it's crazy. It just highlights, you know, the arbitrariness of, of, of the parole process. And, and what parole has proven to be, it, we saw this during COVID, is a release valve for when they need to release people. And so when um, Doug Smith, who worked at an organization uh, that worked on these issues, when he brought the numbers out and said, it's interesting that these very people that you, I've looked through their history that you gave, deny, 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 over and over for nature of crime, um, static things that can't change. When y'all needed to close a facility, suddenly there was an influx of releases. So apparently this isn't about public safety. And let me tell you something, his, his boss got called into the office, um, you know, with, with the head of parole. Well, how could you say this? Why would you say this? And this looks terrible. And he's like, well, it's the data. I don't know what to tell you. It's the data. Right. This, the, the data doesn't lie. That's why I reported it because it's factual. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Tunch, we're already over our hour. Do we want to run through? No, nobody's really asking. So we could just talk very quickly about, um, we had a few things in the chat about um, programming. So some of the parole answers basically mean, hey, guess what? You made parole. And that was with me. And that was with Toonch also. You made parole, but you're not going home today. And you're not going home in 30 days. You're going to have to go ahead and go to an in-prison program before you go home. So um, to, if you're watching us live, Toonch put what the answers are and what they mean, what kind of the different programs mean. And you can also find this information on the TDCJ website for those of you that are listening and can't watch right now. But you guys screenshot this if you want to look at it right now or look it up yourself on the TDC, TDCJ website. But the way those in-prison programs work is you have to, you stay at your unit until there's a bed, two things, a bed available and transportation available to get right. you to that bed, which could take two weeks and it could take several months. Right. Uh, I've seen people wait five and six months to leave to go to their program. I waited about two and a half months after my parole answer to go to my program. And then you go to another prison where that program is offered. You finish that. Mine, mine was a six month program. And then you go from there. Right. Yeah. It just depends on what the program is. Um, you know, that FI six program, 
Um, I know it says here, uh, transfer the D DWI program, but it is also the cognitive uh, program at Marlin. Girl, some of them women were waiting almost a year, a year to get into that program. I uh, remember they were saying that there wasn't um, a teacher available. Right. And the parole board kept giving the answer. Right. But there was no teacher, so there was no program. Right. And if, if you would have almost just been better off to get denied and see parole again the next year and go on home instead of 12 months from now, go to a six month program. And, and people would say, well, I don't understand why parole is giving all these answers for FI6 or FI5 and there are no beds. That's because the parole division and the rehabilitation division are not communicating. Right. And they these programs are often uh, contract programs through other vendors, uh, and it is about money. But it's also because those divisions are not, the, parole doesn't know how many beds there are. They're just issuing answers, and that's up to the rehabilitation division to make sure that there's beds and spaces and, and all this other stuff for programming. And, and, and again, during COVID and during the heat emergency, getting people out so that they can do these, they can do these programs in the world. And actually, we end up going through these and then coming out and doing aftercare. So um, it, there's no reason to, to hold people like that, especially during a crisis or an emergency. Well, and we're getting that kind of comment in the chat right now. Exactly that, right? Is why can't people do those kind of programs on the outside? We are well over our hour. I want to say really quickly, people are asking about, hey, they thought you could only get the reason for your denial of parole one time and no in Texas for factual from both of our lived experience, they give you the exact same um, reason several times in a row. Uh, yes. And I can't even see, are those the reasons of denial? Yes. So honey, I'm on it uh, today. I've been working my ass off, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, and we can make sure y'all have these links too. Again, this is on the TDCJ website. Uh, this is actually a pamphlet that you can print out. But, you know, you see that it's criminal history, nature of offense, drug involvement, uh, adjustment, which is cases and institutional adjustment, um, time served, how much of time, your felony offense. It's essential. And then you have bullets underneath all of that. So you could get a 1A and a 5A, like all, it's almost like just throwing shit at a wall and whatever sticks. Because I'll tell you that all of my denials were criminal history, nature of offense, drug or alcohol involvement, my second time, right? So they were denying me parole because I had an alcohol problem. But to get into the program that would treat my substance use, I had to make parole. But it was the reason I was being denied parole. That is the insanity of the Texas parole. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely kooky for absolute certain. Um, I want to make sure that we leave this final thought is that nobody knows what the parole board is going to do. The warden on the unit doesn't have a clue. The staff members on the unit, they don't have a clue. <laughs> I mean, they, I remember my, my 
family calling and talking to the warden and the warden saying, oh, yes, she's an outside trustee. She doesn't have any cases. She's going to make her first parole. No problem. And it just built up all of this hope within my family that I was coming home and then denied and then denied and then denied. And then I, and then I lost my mind. Right. So uh, definitely you just have to keep that in mind. The parole board is going to do what the parole board do does. Don't let yourself get false hope or false negativity from outside sources. Right. right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a great point, Marcy. Um, it's just essentially you can, I always say, you know, venture on the side of making the best presentation you can, right? But know in your heart that this is a very arbitrary roll of the dice process. It really is. Um, and so I know that can make people feel hopeless and helpless because it's like, what do I do? What can I do? What can I do? And this was some legislation we worked on. People want to be a part of their parole process and the, and the rehabilitation, but it is designed on purpose to be as arbitrary as they can make it because it's, it's not for the public safety. It really is as a release valve um, and to, you know, kind of avoid accountability when stuff happens. So I do want to say this, it is one of the few things that in Texas is exempt from the open records act. So you're not going to get any inside information of why they made that decision, because at the end of the day, they can make it based on whatever feeling or, thought that they have. Thank you for that, Toonch. So uh, th I think that we got a lot of good information. If you guys have more questions, leave it on our social media pages and we're, we're do our best to answer all of those questions. We see you here tonight. We appreciate everybody that's here tonight. Please hit that thumbs up, like the video, share the video after the live ends. And I mean, again, what are we talking about next week? Oh, what are we going to talk about next week, Toonch? I would. I thought you know a fun thing, <laughs> something fun. Uh, I thought we were going to talk about um, prison slang and and nicknames and stuff. That was something that we had talked about. Oh yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, uh, that sounds fun. Yeah, and and it, we want y'all suggestions also, right? So you sure. can always hit us with suggestions of what you want to hear about, what you want us to talk about, and we are listening to you. We promise. It was so lovely visiting with you all. If you're listening to us, please do share or leave a review. Wherever you're listening to us, if you leave a review, leave a comment, leave something so that we saw that you were here and we go back and read it and, and analyze it. And we just love your comments. So please. Absolutely. We do. And Toonch, I love you. Have a good night and good night, everybody. Night. I didn't talk about. Thank you all for hanging out with us on the Rec Yard Women's Prison Podcast with Marcy Marie and Toonchi. Make sure and subscribe to our channel so you'll never miss a rec night. <laughs>